0: Welcome, everyone, to Resurrection Life Church in Cadillac, Michigan. Thank you for joining us today. We're so glad to have you with us, and we pray that you encounter God's goodness through the message today. So as we talk about this forging process, it's a place in which we take a piece of metal and we heat it up, right? Because we talked about this last week. We bring those impurities of the metal Right, They come to the surface in this heating up process. And we can relate to these impurities to the self-indulgences that we have, whether they're public or private. And that's what we were trying to bring out and talk about last week. You see, they've become a habit or an idol in our lives. And I asked you to put some effort these past seven days into thinking about what those things are. What are those things that have a grip on us? What are those self-indulgences that we often go to before we go to God? And why are we doing them? You see, last week we asked God to heat us up, bring to the surface those impurities so that they can be removed. And it's in this same process of heating up that 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 metal is actually made soft so that we can work with it. In order to work with metal, roughly you're 2200 degrees-ish. 1,700 on the cold side, maybe, 2,500 on the hot side. If you want to weld, you can go all the way up to 50,000 degrees if you wanted to. But at that 2,200 degrees, you're kind of at a sweet spot to where that that metal is soft and pliable. You can manipulate it. You see, it's at this point that we can start applying pressure to that metal. This pressure is applied by taking this hammer right here in front of you putting that steel across the anvil and hitting it over and over again. You see, over a period of time, that metal begins to reflect the shape that we're aiming for, the thing that we're gunning to make. The shaping process of forging is a process of time and a process of patience. The hammering of metal is not so much about how hot you can get the metal or how hard you can swing the hammer into the anvil. It's in this process, it's more about the control of the pressure and where we're directing it. And I think about that, I think about control and I think about pressure and I think about where it's directed and where it's aimed in my life and I can relate to that. I can relate to that pressure. I can relate to all of those things. must have played softball. How many different things are flying at us on a daily basis? How many different things are coming at us? How many different directions are things coming at us from? Right? Overwhelming amounts of information hit us every single day. Wants, needs, desires, right? Advertising, friends, all these things. What pressures out there are shaping us rather than God? You see, does pressure ever get to you? It gets to me. It does. It gets to me. I know I look as cool as a cucumber, but I'm not always. I'm not all, shh, I'm not always. I have a ton of lawn work and landscaping to do at my house. I need to run water lines to part of our property before winter, primarily for a horse that we just bought that I didn't want but we got and now I love. I'd like to under, install underground irrigation. I want to go to college visits with my oldest daughter. I have to install new bathroom vents in my house very soon. My desk here in the office and at my house looks like a bomb went off. A bomb, literally. I have to install a garage door. I have a vehicle that needs to get repaired. We're right in the middle of refinancing our house. And we're laying out plans to open a new store in Reed City with a drive through coffee shop. I just got home from three days of basketball camp, which was absolutely awesome, but the lawn needs to be mowed, and I need to spray for mosquitoes because they'll carry you away right now. When I got in this morning, I was just kind of going over my message, and I realized I forgot my favorite Bible. I I have a favorite, although they're all the same. I mean, I do, but I forgot it. And to top all things off, a couple weeks ago, we had a snake in our house. Now, I was reluctant on whether or not I was going to say this, but I'm going to come at it from two angles. One, yeah, you probably think I'm dirty, but I'm not. We had a snake in our house. But two, if you're scared of a snake, there's a good chance you're not coming to my house. So either way, it's a win. (laughs) You see, it's pressure. It's pressure. It gets to us, things happen. We work under it, we're driven by it. We suppress it, we deny it, and we try to escape it. We can feel the pressure in our chest. People take vitamins for it, some other people take medication for it, it keeps us up at night, makes our stomach turn, makes us sweat. I think every single person in this room is probably squeezed by it in some way, shape, or form. You see, what are some of the pressures that seem to be shaping us rather than being shaped by God? I think one of probably the biggest one for me is time. Time. It's a big one for me. You see, there's a huge amount of pressure for our time. And that demand extends beyond the walls of our home and our workplace. We need more time to be more involved in things, right? I mean, because we can never do too much. We need more time for work, we need more, more time for family, for hunting, more time to exercise that I don't do, more time for education, more time with our friends. We wanna be involved in our kids' lives and at school with their teachers and classroom projects. More time to serve, retreats, Bible studies, growth. More time to read the Bible, more time to do devotions, more time to serve in our community. This pressure of time is a zero-sum game, meaning in one place where we devote our time, we see a clear success. There's a defined winner. But knowing that, there's some other place where we wish we had our time in which there's a clear loser. There's a direct winner and a direct loser. It's exhausting, and I'm constantly nagged by guilt of not being able to get enough done as a husband, not get enough done as a dad, as a son, as a brother, as a friend, as a neighbor. Most of all, I'm going to tell you right now I know I need more time with God. I do. I need it. We live in this world, but our born again spirits will never be completely satisfied here on earth, will they? No way. There's always going to be tension between the two. Always. Living in union with the Spirit of God is counterintuitive to the ways of this world, aren't they? They're radically different. What causes this pressure and prevents us from experiencing unbroken union with Christ? You see, what's getting at us? What's dividing us? As Laura was talking about this morning, what's separating us? What caused her to turn her back? It's our tendency to compartmentalize life into two categories. We have the secular category and we have the sacred category, don't we? Everyday activities of the world vie for our attention. While our times of worship and communion are regulated to Sunday morning worship, and usually that one hour, maybe an hour and a half today, a week We spend the majority of our days operating in our secular lives and feeling guilty for the lack of time spent in sacred communion with God, don't we? We feel guilty. How many of us are here today on a Sunday morning out of guilt? Right? We do. Most of us struggle to find the balance between the secular world and the sacred world, and it wages war in our hearts. You see, remember last week we talked, we, we live in this world, but we're not a part of it. We are part of God. The constant flip-flopping between the two is exhausting, and inevitably, we see one as the clear winner. It's going to happen. We see ourselves living in Romans 7, where Paul is describing the fleshly desires of the body, right? Right? it's passions, it's appetites. You see, we can relate to Romans 7 because we live there. But really, we long for Romans 8. For those who live in Christ are more than conquerors. We have nothing to fear in this world because why? Because God is greater than all things. This pressure of time has us feeling like we are on a tightrope, fearful that the slightest misstep will go plunging into a canyon of disappointment to Christ and failure, and failure. I don't want to fail. But rather than living with guilt, why don't we bring the spiritual into the secular? Why do we compartmentalize them? And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm learning from her. I'm learning from her. The last two years, she has been on an incredible spiritual journey, incredible. I, I'm going to tell you what, two years ago, I couldn't have got her up here with a truck. You see, what she's done is she's brought her spiritual life of praying, reading the Bible, church, scripture, serving, and worship into her daily life of her job as a business owner, her daily responsibilities as a mother, as a wife, as a daughter, as a sister, as a friend, and a list of other roles and titles that she fits on a daily basis. You see, what I've watched her do is take her sacred time with and for God and apply that to every aspect of her secular world. I don't always do that. Actually, it's very rare. And did you know I work in ministry? You see, I don't believe that God intended for the two worlds to be separate in the first place. Acts 17, 28. For in him we live and move and we have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. For in him we live. In him and him alone we live. And we move everywhere we go on a daily basis. Everything our hands touch, everywhere our feet go, we are with him and we bring him. And he is in our being our being, the kingdom of God, what Pastor Dwayne talked about a couple weeks ago. That kingdom is inside of us and we take it wherever we go. The Passion Translation. It is through him that we live and function and have our identity. Just as your own poets have said, our lineage comes from him. In this we are called to bring him into everything that we are doing. We need to bring God with us to our workplace, bring him with us to our school activities, bring him with us to our sporting events, bring him with us when we're cooking, folding laundry, ironing, yes I do iron, I learned how. Washing dishes, right? Washing dirty faces and wiping butts. Because we're parents. He's not only in certain areas, he's everywhere. You see, when we create separation, we're at war. What we need to do is bring those two worlds, we need to bring them together so that our entire life can be an act of worship. Our entire life. This merge does not mean that we're going to stop praying or that we quit spending quiet time with the Lord. What it means is that our communion or relationship with God does not stop there, but it goes absolutely everywhere. It goes everywhere. You see, we need to navigate and prioritize the demands and responsibilities of life. We need to navigate those pressures, and we need to find rest in a restless world. And this restlessness, this world, has caused a crazy amount of confusion. Crazy amount of confusion. So much pressure and confusion that we have misplaced our identity. We've misplaced our identity in Christ. The identity or the idea of identity has become a confusing concept that's become hard to understand. And I think probably in the last 20 months, 24 months, it's only gotten 10 times worse. I believe there is so much confusion and pressure surrounding this topic and it seems like that there's a never ending opinion in our world about what identity is where it comes from. We hear questions like is my identity something that I'll discover? Is it something that's assigned to me? Is it something that I'm supposed to create? You see, what I think we've done is I think we've muddied the waters. We've listened to the world and complicated the issue. What we need to do is go to God and His Word to bring clarity to the new buzzword of identity. Who are you? I read one time that identity is a sense of self and a sense of self worth. This has to do with how we, how we value ourselves and what we do and how people view us, right? You know, I think about those two things more than I ought to. I actually can tell you I think about those things not knowing almost in every action that I do because I'm thinking What are they going to think? There are many aspects within this description of identity. But I want to take a look at this idea of identity and relate it to what we read in Genesis 1 and 2. Adam and Eve received their sense of worth and their sense of self from God. They received it from what he spoke to them and what he spoke over them. You see, their meaning and purpose, their identity, came directly from the mouth of God. Chapters one and two are filled with what God's saying, what God is saying to them, what they are going to do, who they are. But I believe we've strayed from God's definition of identity and have begun to seek our own identity in our own view and our upon. Living in and being a part of this world, I believe it's easy for our culture and its pressure, which we just got done talking about, to play a huge role in shaping our identity. I think we can kind of put that into two points, maybe. Two parts. You have the traditional part, right? Where roles are assumed. I think this is probably a little bit different of approach than it was maybe... 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago. But in the traditional approach, our sense and our self-worth comes from the roles that we play in our family and in our community. These roles are assumed or given directly from family for the good of the family and for the good of the community. You see, what we've done is we've laid down the promises of God. We're in a farming community, right? Yeah, somewhat. How many of those people do you know that farm, farm because their dad's 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 dad farmed? They don't want to be a farmer. They don't have nothing to do with it. But they assumed the role and they assumed the identity for the good of the family. Or you have the modern idea, the modern approach to identity. We get our identity of self and and worth from inside of ourselves. Inside of ourselves. Meaning, we are who we are because of how we feel. Because of the dreams that we have and the desires that we aspire for, and which are then expressed in the actions in which we do. You see, this modern approach, in my opinion, is individualism, it's selfishness. Do what makes you happy. Great job, Nike. It's not about doing what makes you happy. Our culture says that you decide your identity. We're in a world that is struggling with identity. We don't even know who we are. And I say this with all of my heart we don't even know if we want to be a man or a woman. We don't know. You see, what we're doing is we're elevating our culture above Scripture. We're elevating our culture that we want, and we have taken the place in which we live in, the places that we desire, the actions that we want, and we have taken that and we have trumped the Word of God. And I've been here and I've done this. What we're doing is we're using the word victim instead of sin. Victim. And if we're going to stand behind the identity or the idea of being a victim, then I'm going to tell you right now we're all victims. We're all victims of the fall, we're all victims of the devil, we're all victims of sin. We're all victims of lust, we're all victims of pride, we're all victims of idolatry, we are all victims. No, what we've all done is allow sin to enter our lives. Why, because we're born into it. Why, because of the fall. You see, but I believe differently. I believe that our identity is found in our surrender. That's what I believe our identity's in. It's in our surrender. And when you surrender, you don't get to make the terms of that surrender, do you? When you quit or when you give up or when you say enough is enough, you're not deciding what goes on in agreement processes. A surrender is a surrender. You're surrendering to the terms and to the person in which you surrendered to. Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace and grace alone that we and you have been saved. And God raised up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Jesus Christ in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's our identity. That's our identity. Genesis 1 and 2 God declared our identity by speaking over Adam and Eve. But when that crafty serpent, when he showed up in chapter 3 of Genesis, everything changes. Everything changes. You see our identity at that point is fractured. It's fractured. Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 that the widespread of brokenness is a result of the fall. You see, we're dead due to sin. Paul says in verse two, the sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of air, the ruler of the kingdom of air was the devil, is the devil. The spirit who is not at work in those who are disobedient. You see, no matter what we try to do to change our identity outside of Christ, we are determined by darkness. And there's that word again. I think for the last two or three weeks, we've talked about darkness. It's come up over and over again. What's darkness? The wickedness of evil. What's darkness? The absence of light. What's light? Jesus Christ. Things drastically change in verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, through Christ, God's mercy is lavished upon us who put our faith in him and him alone. God's love and grace is immeasurable. We can't put a ruler to it. That fat Max Stanley, that 35-footer, can't touch it. Verse 5 is where we read of our new identity, where we are made alive with Christ. That same God that raised Christ, the same spirit that was alive in him, gives us a new life. 2 Timothy 1.7, God didn't leave us a, a spirit of fear and timidity. What did he leave us? He left us the spirit of, he left us the Holy Spirit. That's what he left us. And we have control, we have control of the lusts, the desires, the things that Satan speaks. You know, we have control of him. We have control of him. This new life is a new identity. It's in Christ's rescuing of us from this world. Verse 1, we read of a holistic death, right? A holistic death apart from Christ. But then around, we turn around in verse 5, we have a holistic new life. We have a holistic new identity. We are born again in Christ and Christ alone. how often does our flesh tend to seek and find worth and value apart from God? Mine, every day. You know, I sweat so much last week. I had to bring a towel. It's a Gatorade towel. It's my basketball towel. It's game day, so I figured, why not bring the game towel? In the pursuit of the flesh or if the pursuit of the flesh brings worth and value, over time it will become a greater or the greatest defining thing in our life to shape our identity. This pursuit will lead to an identity filled with pride and idolatry. I live it. How many of us find our worth in how our spouse treats us or talks to us or what they say about us in public? How many of us find our value in work from praise or you get an attaboy, right, or you get a promotion? You know how hard it is to not get up here and preach a message and to want praise afterwards? Almost every single pastor I've ever talked to says that's one of the most difficult things that they struggle with. Over time, I've seen these pursuits become the greatest identity of a person. Our hearts are now at war for identity. Our greatest identity in Christ is now being traded for a temporary identity of who we are or what we do. This war of identity has halted the sanctifying work of the The Holy Spirit, the sanctifying, the washing, and made holy of us has been halted due to this conflict of identity. Because what it is, it's it's that pride saying, I don't know you anymore. I can do it on my own. How many of us have heard people say, I feel so far from God right now? I don't hear God right now. He's not close to me right now. I'm willing to bet if you were just an ear and you listened to that person as they opened up and they talked to you about these feelings, you are going to hear a conflict of identity and what they are saying. These examples of the spouse that we just talked about, hearing about how they talk to us, are we hung on that? Or the work? Are we, are we hung on the attaboy? Or do we want to get accolades after leaving and, and hearing a good message? Do we want to add a boy from that? They seem harmless. They're harmless until that spouse that hinged on every word their husband or wife were saying is great until there's an affair. Or if you're finding your identity and your praise from your job, what happens when that job's gone and people have to downsize and things shift? Or what happens in the, when, when the pastor has a, a small little group of people that want to kind of rise up in themselves and tell the pastor he's not very good anymore and I want you to go in a different direction with your sermons? You see, they started harmless, but they didn't end harmless. What seemed harmless had hold of our hearts, a heart that we've leveraged over our greatest identity, which is in Christ. We must realize and recognize who we are apart from Christ. Sinful people, right? It's okay. Realize and recognize who we are, but we also need to understand the amazing gifts of life that we have through Christ, through Christ. As pressures squeeze our hearts, what is brought to the surface is the impurities that have begun to steal our time and shape our identity. It's shaping us. Our life, our identity does not come from the pressure of this world or our traditions. Our identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. And like we said last week, you can't have one church or one foot in the world <laughs> one foot in the world and one foot in church, can we? We can't. It doesn't work. There's conflict. It's 1005. I have two more points. How's that going to go? It ain't. We're going to finish next week. <laughs> <So> <laughs> you know, I was thinking this morning I was going over stuff and I think we need to take time to reflect on what we're talking about. We need to take time on those things. What are those impurities that God's trying to bring to the surface of our lives? We need to take time and think about what those pressures are that are coming at us from all kinds of different angles and directions. What pressures can we let go? And what we need to spend a, a lot of time in the next week thinking about is what things are we allowing to apply pressure to us and shape us into who we are? So we will finish next week. So Lord, we thank you. We thank you for today. We thank you for absolutely every single day that we can land our two feet on the floor when we get out of bed. Lord, we thank you for working inside of our lives. Lord, we thank you for alleviating the pressure that comes at us when we turn to you, when we seek you wholeheartedly. When when we seek you with all of our hearts. Lord, work inside of us. Work inside of us so that we can reprioritize our schedule. So that we can we can spend time with you. So that we can bring you absolutely everywhere that we go. Lord, work inside of us. Show us who we are. Show us who we are in you. Show us what you've called us to do. Because it's in you, Lord. It's in you that we find grace. It's in you that we find mercy. And it's in you that we find our salvation. We love you, Heavenly Father. Amen. We're honored that you are with us today. Please connect with us because we want to get to know you. Head to our website, getreslife.org. That's G-E-T-R-E-S-L-I-F-E.org. And like us on Facebook, Resurrection Life Church Cadillac, for upcoming events and information and ways to connect. God bless you and have a beautiful week.